We are back. Prolytically Correct Podcast, Friday, August 2nd, 2019. Big episode here. I'm your host, Tommy. Mike's on the other end. I am back in the great state of Washington. Happy to be back up here. A lot of things going on in my life. Very excited. Very excited to be back podcasting, catching up with Mike. A lot going on in our lives, a lot going on in the world. Excited to get into it. Mike, how are you on the other end? How is your summer going? That's a slow clap there. Tommy's back. Love a good slow clap. Glad to have him back in Washington. Um, Yeah, summer's going great. Uh, Everything is trending upwards in my life, so couldn't complain, couldn't be happier. The only thing that can make it better is if, you know, we hit the Mega Millions or something like that, Powerball. But outside of that, everything's going real well. Uh, as you said, a nice sunny day here in the Pacific Northwest. Great cloud cover, uh, mm-hmm. keeping it tamped down. You don't miss California at all, do you, Tommy? That's a great question. And first, I like to specify California's large state. So for where I'm coming from, Los Angeles, kind of a different ball game. There are parts that I think I will always miss, but I don't think that I'll ever miss living there. I mean, there's definitely places that I love to visit. I obviously still have family there, so that's huge. Obviously still connected. But I don't think in the long run that was where I was supposed to be. I don't know. Just more excited to be to be up here. Uh, Los Angeles is great. Great place to visit. But I never really saw myself living there for the rest of my life. So excited to be back up here, taking it day by day, and uh, ready to get started with a lot of things. What's your favorite spot in California, city-wise? City-wise? Yeah. Um, like to visit? So we'll go We'll go both. To visit okay. and if you had to live. San Diego is awesome. Uh, very popular bachelor, bachelorette kind of destination. It, to me, it's like Los Angeles, but if, if it was condensed and like all on the coast i know los angeles has parts on the coast but like san diego is like almost entirely on on the water so to visit for like three nights four nights seattle or uh, i'm sorry san diego freudian slip san diego awesome place (laughs) to live man i don't know some some parts of la i could you can live in that are great some parts not so much Uh, but to visit i would say san diego there you have it. San Diego. I got no love for the for anything north of like Malibu. I don't even know. That's not even. But like, no love. No love. Nothing. Or uh, Santa Barbara. San Fran. No, San Luis Obispo no, San and Fran South. Guy? No, nothing. San Luis Obispo and South. It's a classic rivalry. But uh, yeah, I got no love for anything up there. No reason to ever go up there. Redwoods, Sequoias. Just, just keep flying. Just keep driving. <laughs> no reason to stop. One hundred and one Pacific Coast uh, Highway. Yosemite. We should keep it. You know. <laughs> safe and keep the animals trees all that we should keep it but anything else keep moving hot take hot take but an accurate take mm, debatable i'm a fan no i'm a norcal i'm a fan of san fran I'm i like the idea of, of berkeley mere woods mm. maybe just keep it moving Woo. Woo. i don't know what to say that it's just it's speechless it's yeah it is uh, the truth hurts sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, 
What are you, you going to do? They, they did have that ballot initiative to try and divide California into a southern, central, and northern uh, kind of sort of territories, states. Would you support that ballot initiative? I, I mean, now I don't really care, but I, I mean, I think it's a fun idea to think about, but I don't think in reality it works, seeing as like only three counties in the state provide any type of financial income for the rest of the state, so I'm not sure how that would work. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting. Shocking. I'm a little thrown off by this this whole nor- Northern California hate, hatred, yeah, um, segregation. As, if you're not from <laughs> California, you probably just don't understand, bro. But <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't understand. That's true. No. That's true. Even though I did live there for like five years. My sister was born in Northern California. Yep, don't get it. No, you wouldn't don't understand. Well, on to more hate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hate filled Friday. I didn't see it coming, but <laughs> yeah, we we'll are. just we'll just start off with some strong hate. Let it flow through you. Here um, we are. Only only then will you know the true power of the dark side. Um, our president. Well, a lot has happened since our last podcast, and the, our podcast will probably get more uh, spaced out a little bit because Tommy is going to be starting such a such a time intensive endeavor. Coming wow, up here. that's a very nice way of putting it. Yeah, there's no other way to. Put yeah, it. that was uh, very well. That was good. That yeah. was a nice euphemism. Very, very well. Yeah. So uh, a lot has happened. You know, we could cover a bunch of things. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of not in the correct time format for us to get to everything. So we won't do that. You know, Robert Mueller talked a little bit about Trump, said some things. He's probably a criminal, probably could be charged with crimes if he wasn't the sitting president currently. Um, Other things have happened, but one thing that I really want to touch on, that hate that we were talking about, is his speech in North Carolina. Did you see this at all, Tommy? Yeah, a very, very unfortunate incident in North Carolina made... The South looked terrible, made the country look terrible, just an embarrassment. Uh, I think overall might be my, my best term for that entire situation. Indeed. Embarrassing, terrifying, yeah, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, that's a good... A yeah. Very, very scary moment, and probably one of the scariest moments in Trump's presidency thus far um, regarding the American people, involving the American people. And... To give a little background, I think we need to start with the squad. Uh, the squad is a group of four freshman Democratic Congresswomen who have irked Trump and drawn his attention, I should say. And this includes AOC, um, who we've we've talked about before on this podcast, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, Ilhan Omar. Ayanna Presley and Rashida Tlaib. And Trump was giving a speech in North Carolina where he just invoked a lot of dark, negative um, undertones, overtones, um, past references. And it, it, it was done with enough, enough intensity and consistency that I have to wonder... It had to be planned, almost, in my viewpoint. One of the first things Trump did was invoke the love it or leave it 
slogan um, in regards to our country, in re- regards to these freshman congresswomen who have been have been critical of some of the policies and practices of the United States of America, which is fine. A, a true patriot is always critical of their of their country and what they're doing, and constantly analyze it, analyzing what their country is doing and whether or not that's right or wrong, and you know, trying to enact change if it is going down the wrong path. But the love it or leave it slogan had been predominant in North Carolina. Uh, it had been used by the KKK, and I actually saw a couple pictures of billboards um, saying, this is Klan country, love it or leave it, help fight communism and integration. And this was, you know, in the 1950s, 1960s, uh, where we had the Red Scare, where we were um, going through desegregation in our country. Um, the the end of sort of the Jim Crow laws and the start of the civil rights movement. And Trump used this speech in North Carolina where these billboards were, where the KKK had used these slogans. And that almost, you'd, you'd have to do some convincing in order to get me to believe that that was not intentional. Um, especially, especially in light of everything else he's done, uh, Charlottesville, that rally saying there's good people on both sides the way he's kind of pandered to the alt-right i guess you could say the way in which he didn't immediately uh, denounce the endorsement of david duke um who is the leader of the kkk currently i think i don't know i don't, I don't keep up on the kkk and their organization and i won't fault you for that yeah so that's that strike one um very scary very um it, if it is indeed intentional it's, it's disgusting that he is pandering to these groups but i guess that is his it makes up a good portion of his voter base and um it falls in line with what uh, prominent alt-right thinker richard spencer has said about the president before that you know there he acknowledges that there is a limit to what trump can say publicly um, and still, you know, be a viable political candidate. But he understands that Trump uses very specific terminology and and uh, a way of speaking that kind of, you know, is a tip of the hat to the all right and the, those groups and letting them know in a roundabout way that he sort of supports them and wants their support. So. One of the things that I really, well, there's a lot that you could unpack here that you really hate, but something that I particularly hate is the love it or leave it saying. I think that's just an incredibly lazy moniker to get behind a rally behind. Why, what do you mean love it or leave it? Why do you have to, why can't you criticize it? Why can't you ask for things to change? What if you love it and it needs change and you don't want to, I don't, I don't know. I always thought that was the laziest thing to say. And, and just a selfish overall thing to think and to believe. And I don't know if the people who are actually saying it even really believe it or understand what they're saying. Uh, it's I don't know. It's something that I feel like, that, and it's usually a particular demographic of people that are saying it. it. So to hear that chant wasn't terribly surprising given who was talking and where he was, unfortunately. But that's something that I, I really, really can't stand hearing. 
it does not open the door to self-analysis and improvement. <laughs> it's so lazy and it's just dumb. It's mm-hmm. dumb. And and you can't apply it. It's not applicable if you downscale it just from the country to like individual matters. So if you're dating someone and you know they ask yeah, you to what? pick up your dirty clothes that you left on the floor and you're like fucking love it or leave it. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's not a rational thing to think. It's not a rational thing to act, believe in. I don't So it's a dumb rallying cry. I mean, not terribly surprising, but overall just dumb. Yeah. McDonald's gets your order wrong. You know they they put <laughs> yeah. the they put the mustard on the go to Burger King. Yeah, what? love it or leave it. You're never gonna eat. <laughs> She's gonna go hungry. I saw a uh, a meme that somebody made, and it was had a huge bald eagle on it. You know, red, white, and blue stars oh, and yeah. stripes, Those all that great. stuff. And uh, America, gay marriage is legal. You can get an abortion if you want. Obamacare is the the law of the land. Love it or leave it. But you can't use plastic <laughs> straws. This is just these weird boundaries and things they get irked about, but also proud about. It's freaking fascinating. There's, yeah, yeah. So it, it then devolved even further as Trump went on. He was criticizing Ilhan Omar and her statements regarding Al Qaeda and uh, her sort of. It, well, whatever. We won't get into that. But anyway, he was criticizing Ilhan Omar, and the crowd started to chant, send her back. Send her back. Terrifying. This is the most terrifying part of the whole speech, mm-hmm. that this, that the crowd actually started this chant, that it didn't. It wasn't just a few individuals that got taken up and it got carried onward. And this is reminiscent of a lot of political systems that we have seen in the past that didn't have such great results. You want to speak on that at all, Tommy? I'm not sure what you're getting with there, but I was just going to comment on the fact that I think if you if that's truly what you believe, if you truly don't want this person in office because she might be from somewhere else, she might look different, then I think our democracy has failed. She's a dem- dem- democratically elected official. What what are you talking about? I, it's embarrassing. I don't know. It is embarrassing. And it, it's uneducated. Uneducated it is at the most grassroots basic elementary level. It is. And and what I was kind of alluding to earlier was it's reminiscent of other countries that have had dictatorships that have been uh and this this has become corrupted, but fascism. You know, yeah. with with Antifa and, and that whole thing, this has kind of been, anytime somebody invokes fascism, it's kind of viewed differently. Mm-hmm. That's and a very charged word. It is. But we have to look at it for what it is. And it definitely is reminiscent of that. And one of the, one of the, I guess, political theorists, scholars, whatever you want to call them, um, who has kind of uh been been notarized for defining fascism and for what it is is umberto echo and he has basically 14 kind of um characteristics of fascism 
And you have to look at that list of the 14 and see how many Trump is appealing to and see how many actually fit what Trump's presidency looked like and what he's invoking and what reaction he's trying to get from the American people. And it's, I mean, I mean, we'll just go down the list, right? Yeah. So the cult of tradition is number one. Number one right there is the cult of tradition. Characterized by cultural syncretism, even at the risk of internal contradiction, when all truth has already been revealed by tradition, no no new learning can occur, only further interpretation and refinement. That one, um, not as strong. Not as strong of a correlation there. So that's number one. Um, Two is the rejection of modernism, which views the rationalistic development of what Western culture since the Enlightenment is descent into depravity. And I think Trump has kind of done that in his Make America Great Again, wanting to return to mm. how America was before. Good point. Wanting, wanting to kind of poo-poo intellectuals and scientists and their results. And so I, I think he fits number two a little bit better than number one. Um, the cult of action for action's sake, which dictates that action of is of value in itself and should be taken without intellectual consideration I, I definitely think that is kind of there as well because trump is just a idea man mm-hmm. you know very simple solutions very simple ideas whether or not they make sense according to how, how it's actually going to play out in the real world and you can see that with the wall you can see that with him advocating you know nuclear first strikes <laughs> against our enemy countries you can see so, that with his reactionary trade wars. So doing things and then seeing how they play out with actually, without actually putting in a whole lot of thinking, reflection beforehand. Exactly. Just yeah. just taking action. Uh, just think, doing things. Yeah, that's that's. I think that that hits the buzzer right there. Mm-hmm. Number four, disagreement <laughs> is treason. That might be. <laughs> I mean, that's. <laughs> How many do you know how many you have to check in order to be considered a fascist? Is there like a like if you are you know the, some of those personality quizzes if you got 10 or if you said yes to 10 or more of these then you are uh, outgoing is that how does this one work? Is it like four or more? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know at what point you re- you reach uh, full on Mussolini. Yeah. Um, or, like Mussolini's or like, like 7 through 10. You get Hitler like 10 through 12, you get Hirohito, like, 9 through 12. I'm not sure how this works. Yeah, where where does, you know... I don't know, but we're already... What grades give you a Castro? We're at, like, you know, 75% yeah. right now, so that's not good. Or good, no. I don't know. Depends on who you're rooting for. Not good. So, number five, what are we looking at there? Fear of difference. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that's not good. 80%. Often in the form of racism or an appeal against foreigners and immigrants. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind of what we've been talking huh. about this entire time. Huh. I don't, I don't know if there's any evidence to yeah. support that. <laughs> Yikes. Appeal to a frustrated middle class. Uh, that's how you got elected. <laughs> Obsession with a plot and the hyping up of an enemy threat. Six for seven. <laughs> <sighs> uh, 
fascist societies rhetorically cast their enemies as at the same time too strong and too weak do you have to hit both because i don't know who he said is too strong but i know he said a lot are too weak yeah he has said a lot of too weak iran um, and north korea first mm-hmm. to come to mind mm-hmm. who would be too strong russia china i don't know no. china china maybe. maybe i don't know we'll, we'll give that a 50 percent. so right. what is that we're okay. on we're six out of eight well 6.5 out of eight six, yeah there you go <laughs> i feel like i'm you know when you're at a baseball game if you're 94 years old and you're like filling out your uh the book like e4 or like double up the middle <laughs> that's what i'm doing right now a simpler time pacifism is trafficking with the enemy because yep. life is permanent warfare there must always be an enemy to fight yep Alrighty. Contempt for the weak. Snowflakes. Oh, yeah. Liberal cucks. Yeah, li- beta cucks. Lib cucks. Mm-hmm. Libtards. Everybody is educated to become a hero, which leads to an embrace of the cult of death. Hmm. Huh. I, I don't know if we've gotten that yet. Um, Trump definitely encourages military service, but yeah. not. I, I don't think we could mark that one. Okay, honestly. Oh, Machismo. Twelve is a good one. Twelve is a good one. <laughs> uh, fascist. Thus, uh, so machismo, which sublimates the difficult work of permanent war and heroism into the sexual sphere. Fascists thus hold both disdain for women and intolerance and condemnation of non-standard sexual habits, from chastity to homosexuality. Well, there's disdain for women, that's yeah. for sure. Yep. You can just grab Checks them by box. the pussy, baby. Yeah. Um, and Trump definitely doesn't appear to be a fan of trans gay rights that sort of thing so yeah well i'll check that i'll say that works selective populism the people conceive monolithically have a common will distinct from and superior to the viewpoint of any individual fox news definitely and then newspeak Mm. fascism employs and promotes an impoverished vocabulary in order to limit critical reasoning. Trump is the embodiment of number 14 as far as the way he speaks and the speeches he gives. He's not a wordsmith, if you will, and Mm -hmm. doesn't use an incredibly diverse vocabulary, puts things in very simple black and white terms. So So what did we end up with on the scoreboard there? I think it was... Is that 11.5? 11.5 out of 14. That... Pretty strong. Um, pretty pretty strong. strong. I mean, are the, are the trains running on time? I don't know. Mm. Yikes. <laughs> That's 82%. It's a B minus. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so... Very scary, and just the send send her back, the love it or leave it. It makes you embarrassed to be an American. Well, love it or leave it, Tommy. Love it or leave it. I it, guess those it are my only options. 
I, I definitely felt embarrassed when I heard these things, when I saw this speech. I did not feel... I did not feel proud in that moment to represent, to call myself an American and have that be tagged on to who I am. I am generally, but if that, if I was, let's say this, if I was in a bar in Europe and this, this was on the, the TV screen, I'd slowly I was, I, sink out of my bar stool and out the back door. If I was wearing a hat, it would get pulled down yeah. <laughs> over my face, <laughs> and I'd take the back door. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to Irish goodbye that one. Yep. Yeah. Never to return. So, there's that. That was a fun list to go down. A good list to keep in mind. You know, a good list to, you know, update at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. play a little drinking game to that one yeah as we devolve uh further and further as we slide closer and closer uh to hitler on the scale or mussolini or castro or china i mean look at what's going on in china right now i don't whoo you want to get into that how, how i wouldn't want to live in china what's going on over there yeah wouldn't want to live there would not want to be a citizen. Mm. So there's a lot of protests going on in Hong Kong mm-hmm. right now. I don't know how educated you are on that or what you know about that. What do you know about that, Been Tommy? seeing a lot of tear gas on the news, which is never a good sign. Yeah, and these protests are over... Extradition? Ext- extradition yeah. uh, bill, law, whatever you want to call it, that they've introduced over there. And... The reason this is such a big deal is because it's not just the extradition of criminals that people are worried about to countries where they... It all started with a murder in Taiwan, I think. Um, A Chinese citizen over there committed murder. There was no extradition between the two, and so they introduced this bill under the guise of, you know, returning that person to justice in Taiwan. But the fear is that this bill will be used to silence political dissidents in Hong Kong by extraditing them to China where they can be imprisoned basically as a political prisoner instead of for actually committing a crime but for having opposing viewpoints to the Chinese government and if you're unfamiliar with Hong Kong and China in general Hong Kong is semi-autonomous they have their own system of governance, but they also kind of fall under the umbrella of greater uh, China in general. So it's, what was it? One country, two governments was the saying that they used, mm. I think, in order to kind of explain it. So they they handle things in-house, but they also kind of fall under China's umbrella strange strange scenario um and it's because i think they're so financially powerful in hong kong themselves that they were able to have this system but so now that now that this bill has been introduced people are worried that now they're going to lose all political autonomy and just become part of the chinese government 
entirely, kind of. That's at least my understanding of it. And people are upset. They're protesting. They're demonstrating in mass numbers, and they're doing so at risk to their physical well-being and their personal freedom. And that is just one uh, one event in in a stream of a couple events that are very worrying in China. If it, a lot of people don't know that there, we talk about our border detention camps kind of being compared to concentration camps. China basically has real, real straight up concentration camps where they are detaining. Uh, the last estimate I think was three million Muslims. Yeah, the in Uyghurs these, mm-hmm, in these camps around China. So, <sighs> a time of turmoil for China, a time of turmoil for Hong Kong, and. It, it, it appears to be that way in a lot of countries around the world right now, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think a lot of these countries are checking off a lot of the boxes that we just talked about on Umberto's list of fascism, which is scary. And I'm not sure what's going to turn that around. Me neither. And Donald Trump labeled these protests by the citizens of Hong Kong in China as riots and said basically, you know, uh, support China handling it however they need to in-house. Yeah, that's that's a big, that shouldn't go unnoticed. That's a big way of differing the terms between a riot and a protest because they definitely have different connotations. If you're thinking riot, thinking type illegal tax, types of activities, you're thinking looting, uh, setting fires, stuff like that, but you can have a protest that's peaceful, and from what I understand, that's what's happening in Hong Kong. And using that type of rhetoric is dangerous and, and is misleading, ultimately, for sure. And and is that a a long play on his part? <laughs> Whether he knows it or not, it is. I'm not sure if he actually knows what the difference is, but I think maybe someone in his camp was like, no, you should use this word because we need this to happen that's that's an important point that I've debated with a couple of my friends, uh, and that is someone in his camp saying, no, you should use this word. And it gets a little conspiratorial, but I think you kind of have to I in this case. I think coached for sure. And then that raises the question of who is doing the coaching and to what means, you know, and to what end. Is Dick Cheney still around? <laughs> Yeah, and he is somewhere. Somewhere. He's, he's, he's got a phone. Uh, I don't know. That's a good out. question. I don't know who is pulling the strings. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the last podcast we did, and we were talking about um, who knows everything, and we were comparing it to the KGB where nobody knows everything. It's all compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's somebody at the top. I think that would be a conspiracy to think that there's like three people that are ruling the country, running the country from behind closed doors the the wizard of oz if you will but i i don't know it's kind of scary to think about who ultimately has control of the power you kind of would think that it'd be our commander-in-chief but i'm not sure if that's the case there are a lot of people who say that uh, that think even though that he is not connected with the campaign any longer or with the presidency any longer that steve bannon Mm. is doing a lot of the string pulling. Uh, Bannon has professed his desire to uh, 
I'm paraphrasing, but throw our current political system and the world kind of into chaos. Um, so I could see that. Hmm. Uh, there's all there's always the Putin Russian connection and yeah. people thinking that that's who's really pulling the strings. There's all sorts of of theories floating around out there. The reason I give credence to it is because it's almost the simpler explanation, right? Yes. It, it is almost simpler to say that there is somebody more intelligent and more devious pulling the strings behind Trump rather than to say Trump has been playing a character his entire life and has, you know, had the utmost discipline in acting out this character in every aspect of his life, his public interviews, his reality TV show appearances, his presidential candidacy, his presidency currently. And really, he's not this character that he's been playing the whole time, but he is this super intelligent genius of the most nefarious degree. <laughs> like, Right, yeah. It, it's simpler to say that there's a more intelligent, nefarious person, you know, puppeting him. Mm-hmm. It almost makes it easier, in my opinion, to think that. It does. Easier to swallow, yeah. Definitely. So, yeah just real optimistic on, <laughs> <laughs> on a beautiful friday morning mm-hmm. which brings us to the our hope for the future mm-hmm. and the democratic uh, presidential candidacy mm-hmm. they just had the second round of debates and my main takeaway from this is we have too many fucking candidates <laughs> yeah when do we start whittling it down like it's fall camp for an nfl team we get the roster from like 94 to 63 to 55 we need that to start happening so we are whittling it down there is a a bar to meet for the next debate and that is pulling at i believe two percent and then getting a certain amount of donors and there are 20 just going off the top of my head about 20 um, Democratic candidates who participated in the last round of debates, and I think I based re- upon, go ahead. I uh, just I just saw a headline that said this, there's only eight candidates for the next Democratic debate. There you go, and That's the candidates. Lot, but... It is, but at least it's not the freaking <laughs> you know herd of cats that we have up there now. It's like who are you? Forget what are you talking about? Uh, it looks like candidates who have reached both thresholds are Joe Biden, Cory Booker. Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Personally, I would like to see O'Rourke dropped from that list, Cory Booker dropped from that list. And honestly, even though she's pulling at a higher percentage than Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris dropped from that list, just in my Did Tulsi Gabbard not make it? Tulsi Gabbard did not make it. Wow. Didn't she single-handedly ruin Kamala Harris? Yeah, real hot. Hot on the streets right yeah, now. Yeah, somewhat of a... <laughs> According to the polling data that I pulled up on real, realclearpolitics.com, which is an average of The Economist poll, Emerson poll, The Hill poll, Quinnipiac poll, and Politico poll, Biden is polling at 32%. Sanders is at 16.4. Warren at 14.8. Harris at 11. Buttigieg at 5.6. O'Rourke at 3 booker at 1.6 so based on this polling booker would not meet that two percent mm. threshold yang at 1.6 gabbard at one flat 
Yang gang. Yang gang. Yang Yang had a good moment there at, uh, with his closing remarks. I don't know if you saw that. I, I heard he had a strong uh, closing. He just he just called out our current system of elections and political discourse and selecting candidates in this country and he, he was saying you know from the last debates the biggest talking point regarding him wasn't the fact you know what he was actually saying up there on the stage it was the fact that he didn't wear a tie and he says <laughs> He says, right now, we're kind of in this reality TV system mm-hmm. where we're all up here, standing up here in makeup, kind of being encouraged to attack each other and have these quips back and forth when, you know, really we should be laser focused on the issues of our country and addressing those. And that this is what led to the election of a reality TV star as our presidential candidate. And we need to cut the shit, basically. I really respect that because you're probably knowing when you say that that that's probably not going to get you elected but you have the gall to to say it and i think a lot of people are thinking it and a lot of people are also probably not wanting to hear that but i respect him for standing up there like a martyr and saying that absolutely and that leads me to a question that i've prepared for probably a little bit more than you have seeing as i'm the one asking it and i haven't uh briefed you about it beforehand but what is your view of our current system of elections? Ooh. Is there anything that you would like to see change? And That's a big question. I, yeah, it is a big question. And I'm sorry I didn't give you time no, to think about it, but just free. Uh, free-flowing? Yeah. Um, where to start? Yeah, I actually had this conversation with our union president the other day, so I'm a little more proud wow. on it than you are. you. Mikey City Council. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, I guess, the monetary aspects of elections and candidacy and where people are getting their money, how they're spending it. I don't know, somewhere somewhere along da- down that line, and I'd have to do more research to more eloquently talk, articulate what I'm trying to get across. But the fact, yeah, that's what I'm... Financial and everything that has to go into the elections. And what do you what do you think about these CNN platform debates where you have ten candidates on a stage? It's, you're asking a bunch of different it's questions. Rid- I, it's, it's ridiculous, and I can criticize it. I don't necessarily know if I have a solution though, so I kind of hesitate to, to criticize too much. I don't know what the correct way of doing it, but it it, it what you said about or what Yang was saying about it being a, a somewhat of a reality TV show. I mean, that's basically what it is. If it didn't have the CNN logo in the corner or wherever these are airing, I would think that, yeah, it is somewhat of a, a reality TV show. It's it's staged. It feels like a farce. I feel like I'm not getting genuine answers out of anybody. I don't. They all speak with their political rhetoric and say their own things in, in their own way, but not actually answering the question. Uh, very rarely do you actually get any genuine moments out of any of these people. I don't know. It seems like a farce, but again, I don't know what the the solution is. It's it's difficult. It's difficult to actually hear what these people truly believe, if they do believe anything, or they're just trying to pander to an audience just to get in a, a vote, which is, I think a lot of people are doing anyways. Uh, 
yeah, it's yeah. That's that's what I would think about these these current formatting for these debates. Definitely. I definitely agree. And I think there's a couple main areas that we need to address in order to start getting our political system and our system of elections headed in the right direction. No, no matter what the issue is. So we have a lot of issues in this country that we're trying to work on, that we're trying to fix. Whether that be, let's just say, the legalization of marijuana, the, um, having a stronger, um, healthier economy that works well for all um, income levels, getting better health care in this country, addressing the opiate crisis, all sorts of things. We have all these issues, and these are what I would call like leaf or branch issues. If we're looking at our political system and the issues that it's dressing as like a tree metaphor, analogy, whatever you want to call it, the root of all these problems to me is money and politics. It doesn't matter. You can keep hacking at the leaves. You can keep hacking at the branches. But as long as the root, the trunk, whatever, you, whatever however you want to label it, as long as that is corrupted, you will not be able to effectively fix these branch or leaf issues. And the main one for me is the, is the money. Our, our system of lobbyists, our system of big donors who essentially are given more of a say in our political system than the average American. When we first you know, constructed this whole thing. It was like, you know, one person, one vote, originally for white landowners, and then eventually we got everybody else involved. But, um, but so without fixing the money problem, it doesn't matter. Everything else doesn't matter. It's, it's a corrupt system, so you're trying to f- fix, you're trying to solve a problem with a broken tool, and, and that just doesn't work the majority of the time. We may get small little victories here and there when once it has become apparent that the mass mass majority of americans support an issue then we finally get it but it it should be happening earlier things should be taking place sooner than that and if we don't remove that money we it's it's not going to work so the first thing that needs to be done is overturn the citizens united ruling which basically started this descent into chaos and this slide oops sorry about that this slide all the way down um to where we are currently and it's a it's a supreme court case uh around campaign finance and it held that the free speech clause of the first amendment prohibits the government from restricting independent expenditures basically it's saying you know corporations labor unions and all that can make super big donations to political candidates and then effectively gain an undue amount of influence over that person and the policies that they support and the laws that they're trying to get passed we gotta fix that first and foremost we have to put a time limit on when you can start campaigning for re-election because i don't know uh i haven't checked a calendar recently but i don't think the election's until november 2020 that's a long time between now and then so we don't need this long drawn out campaign cycle where effectively our politicians are not fully focused on getting the work of our country done 
and they're more focused on just maintaining their seat or gaining a new seat. Um, it kind of hamstrings our political system when you do that, when you have campaigns starting a year and a half out from the actual freaking election. And that's even more apparent for for offices that have shorter shorter terms. So let's do both of those things. For me, I think we should just put an overall cap on the amount of money you can spend on getting elected. Um, and that cap should be relatively low. I don't think anybody should be doing town halls. I don't think we should be flying around the country kiss, kissing babies, meeting people face to face. I think the only campaigning that is done should be done via either the internet, uh, some combination of the internet and some sort of publicly broadcasted cable network that the majority of people would have access to. Um, town halls and kissing babies are just another way of raising the financial uh, requirements of running an election and once you have those raised financial requirements you then need you know bigger political donors that then have influence over you and hooks into you during your political career so let's start there how about that well, how's that sound i'm i'm down for that I I like the uh, I'm a pretty simple brain, so I like the tree analogy. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It's it's disheartening. It makes me feel like my vote doesn't count as much as somebody who can donate a couple mil to a political candidate's campaign. Because yeah, all, at the end of the day, everybody gets one vote. But if you don't even have the ability to decide which candidates make it on the ballot then you know and other people do then it, it's not really one vote you know if, if you have more money you have a much larger voice in our political system another thing that i would like to see how familiar are you um with alternative kind of uh voting systems and, and ballots no uh, not much not familiar so one thing that I found very interesting and that I would like to see enacted in our country is what's called instant runoff voting. Hmm. So it, instead of casting one vote for a single presidential candidate, it's a ranked preferential voting oh, method. So it's like your top three or top five? Exactly. Okay. So what you would do is you would rank all the um, all the candidates – and so uh, ballots are initially counted for each voter's top choice. So, you know, if you, if you want Bernie, number one, then that's what's initially counted. So they tally up all the votes. If a candidate has more than half of the vote based on just those first vote choices, then they win. If not, then the candidate with the fewest votes is eliminated and the voters who selected the, the candidate who has the fewest votes, their second choice becomes their first choice, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So, so then they recount it. D- does anybody have 51% of the vote? If not, then they go to the next one, and they eliminate the next lowest candidate. But, and then that um, the people who voted for that candidate is their number one, their second pick. Uh, gets thrown in there and if the you know if your first and second pick 
are both the lowest than your third pick and so on and so forth i hope i'm describing that verbally in a mm. way that people can understand out there if not just uh look at wikipedia up. Yeah, yeah. that's what i'm doing right now <laughs> <laughs> so that would that would change things substantially because let's just go with the last election mm-hmm. if bernie sanders was the democratic presidential candidate right and you know, Trump and Bernie went head to head. Neither of them had fifty-one percent, and you eliminated all the Gary Johnson voters. Um, those Gary Johnson voters then would have their next highest pick as their first pick. So, if they, you know, the majority of Gary Johnson voters picked Bernie number two, then you know Bernie would get all the Gary Johnson votes. That's how it worked. Oh, okay. Then, yeah. Hmm. You think that it will ever be implemented? Nah. <laughs> nah. It's fun to think about, though. <laughs> no, it, the system is so... I feel like we're very ingrained in what we have. And we people are. don't like to change that. They don't like to change that. No. And even if they wanted to, you, you don't have the power. The, the That's s- true, too. The, the people who have the power are benefiting from the system that's in place currently. They got a nice system going on. Got to hand it to them. They do. They, they got do. a nice system unfortunate yeah so anyway that's politics that's hate that's uh the dismay i feel when participating in our political system yeah. gotta talk about it though gotta cover gotta it. talk about yeah. it gotta get it out there yeah gotta let it. people know yeah. uh the you change you want to see in the world Ooh. so from the bleak outlook of our political system to something a little more optimistic the nfl is back baby nfl is back we had our official first game of the season last night the hall of fame game pitted the atlanta falcons versus the denver broncos just a a real slugfest of a of a football game just two powerhouses no i'm just kidding it was fun it was cool to have them back a lot of backups you'll never hear from again playing but it was exciting we had al michaels and collinsworth in the booth so i felt it i felt like we are back it's fun i'm excited i wake up every morning and since i'm currently unemployed i just watch inside training camp on nfl total access and it's a great way to start the day the nfl is back it's Mm -hmm. nice to have football back kind of a period where there's a little bit of a lull in the sports world nba is over Mm -hmm. you really only have I mean, there's no hockey. There's there's dog baseball. days of baseball. Yeah, the dog days of baseball. A little MLS soccer, if you follow that, whatever. Um, good to have NFL back. Who is your favorite to win the Super Bowl? Oh going man, I'm doing season? this again. Yeah, I was just I'll thinking, see if it's changed at all after just, all the off-season moves. Um, I was just thinking to myself, man. I hope no one uh, can pull up anything that I said about. The preseason last year about my prediction i don't know what i think i remember what i said but i'm not going to say it because i don't know i said last year the eagles were going to repeat which is just just dumb recency bias um it's so hard to repeat in the nfl uh, so i don't think well unless you're the patriots the patriots can do it i i mean i'm so how can anyone ever pick against the patriots why would you do that i'm not answering your question but i will eventually it's tough to do. It's tough to it's, pick against the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, they've... Give me the Saints. Saints go marching. The <laughs> Saints? Give me the Saints. The Saints Ooh. go marching. 
All right, bold pick. Bold pick with the Saints. Not going. It's August 2nd. What are you going to do? Who do you think the favorite is, odds-wise, if you were to guess? I don't know if you have it in front of you already. Uh, I don't have it, so this, this is genuinely a random guess. Can I have three guesses? I will say that it's a two-way tie, so you can have four guesses. Okay, Patriots? That's one of the teams. Rams? They are third, but not tied for the um, best odds, I guess you could say. Hmm. The Saints are fourth. Hmm. I will give you one. One Rams. Clue. No, the Rams are third. Okay. Yeah, Did third. I just say that? Jesus. Yeah. I will give you one clue. Ketchup. Pittsburgh. Nope. Heinz Field ketchup. <laughs> no, no, not where I was going with that clue. <laughs> on a on a nice Morton steak, if you will. Oh, the Chiefs? The Chiefs. Eh. That was a fun season. It was a fun season. So they're they're both them and the Patriots are six to one to win the Super Bowl hmm. right now. Not no there. NFC huh. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see I don't see it, but it's also August second and I was completely wrong last year, so I'll probably be wrong again, but is there a team that you think will have the most surprising season? Jaguars. Really? Nick Foles. Oh, yeah. Just going to be crushing it. Crushing it. Defense is still nice. Uh, let's see if I have any other sleeper teams. I think the Seahawks, they were a playoff team last year, but I think uh, they can do a little bit more damage this year. Very nice. Do you want to pick the winners of the AFC and NFC championships? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, our listeners are going to get dumber, but yeah, sure. <laughs> so who's coming out of the NFC and the AFC? Yeah, That's what you're exactly, asking? All exactly. right, well, I already said the Saints, so give me, yep. and then the Patriots. Saints and the Patriots. Yeah. Very nice. You? A battle of the veteran gunslingers. Mm-hmm. 40-year-olds, 40 and 42. I'm going to go both young guns. I'm going to go the exact opposite. I'm going to go uh, Kansas City and then the Rams. Okay. Oh, we almost had that last year. We almost did. Yeah. Almost did. Actually, probably should have. But Sh- um, yeah. You know, based on some no. calls, probably should have. Yeah. But I'm excited for NFL to be back. I'll be more excited for college football to be back. My Nebraska Cornhuskers, you know, having Scott Frost, having his recruiting class, being able to do that, I'm, I'm more excited for Over, that. under six and a half wins for Nebraska. Over. Easy. Easy. Over. Easy over. Let's see about that. How many did they end up with last year? <laughs> <laughs> what? Easy. That's like when I said UCLA was going to have over whatever their total <laughs> yeah. was last year. And every week I was just scratching my head. Oh, I was like, wow, that was pretty dumb. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty dumb. No, definitely. They're, Martinez is coming back. I'm going to write this down somewhere. It, it's, it's Scott Frost. You know, he – it's – it's his people more more so than it was last I mean, year. Um, let's see. South Alabama win. Colorado nothing win. is. You can't say any of these are guarantees. <laughs> Northern Illinois win. Illinois win. So we're four zero to start the season. I mean, that's on paper. It should be at least two wins. But I, given last year's performance, I don't think anything is guaranteed for the good folks of Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm, I don't know. We were zero six to start the season. I hear you. Yeah. 
but with some bad losses. Some bad losses. But we're figuring losses. things out. Figuring things out. I mean, new you coach, figure things new out system. in like August, not mm. in October. Debatable. <laughs> Debatable. Because <laughs> we did. We figured it out towards the end of the season. We had a close game with Ohio State. I'm just saying. So Turned per- it around. I mean, Look at the Ohio. second half of the season. Look at the second half. I'm not a hater. I'm just realistic. So here's what I'll say. Uh, win Southern Alabama. Win Colorado. Win Northern Illinois. Win Illinois. And then we will. Did you say over six? Is what six. I said, right? Six and a half. So six seven. and a half. So so seven is what we need. So that's need four. Seven. So we will get three more. <laughs> okay, name them. So, well, it depends. You know, uh, I think Purdue, Indiana, and then one more. Whether that be Maryland, whether that be Northwestern, whether that be Minnesota or Iowa. Done. We got it. You guys don't seven. play Michigan or Ohio State. We, no, we play Ohio State and we play Wisconsin, but I was okay. We, okay, so no. you're writing those off for sure. Not for sure. <laughs> Not for sure. We no, could be an eight win team. Can, you can write them off. You can write them off for sure on August second. <laughs> you can write. <laughs> you can write those off. <laughs> that doesn't make you a bad fan. We could be an eight win team. It's possible. I mean, over over six and a half. I Take mean, it to the bank. What's their win total? I have to look this up. Yeah, now. look that up now. If yeah. it's six and a half, then I'm moving to Vegas and becoming a handicapper. <laughs> you just got here. You just got back. Sure, I'm at dual residency. I'll have my summers in Seattle. Let's see. Season win total betting predictions. Let's see. Come on. Come on. Oh, can you explain to our new listeners why you're a Nebraska fan? That's super random. Yeah, hold on one sec. This can't be right. Was it four and a half? 8.5. They know something that I don't know. <laughs> Is that real? Uh, that's... I mean, they're normally right, so I wouldn't... Oh, look at... The, oh, Jesus Christ. How, what do you think the line is? So we are in a home date against Ohio State on September 28th. What's the line? I'm um, sorry. Where is the game played again? In, in Nebraska. In Lincoln. Uh, Nebraska plus nine and a half. They, oh, that's very good. <laughs> they open plus ten. They're now Woo-hoo-hoo. plus seven. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know. Maybe Ohio. I forget who Ohio State opens up with. Maybe they've got a tough stretch to start. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about how Ohio State's going to bounce back with Ryan Day and the departure of Urban Meyer. But I mean, they still have Ohio State's players. So I, that's that's. I don't know. I'd say head scratcher, but I never question Vegas. They're always right. So they just know a lot more than I do. Well, they also have the psychology factor going in there, and apparently they've gotten a lot of money on Nebraska because Nebraska fans, I don't know if you know this, they're fucking rabid. Yeah, they, there's not they a whole lot else going on on a Saturday yeah. afternoon in Lincoln. <laughs> or Omaha. Uh, a lot of over-optimistic fans, a lot of fans who have really high expectations. And I know this because, and we were getting into how I am a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan, my family is primarily from Glenwood, Iowa, 
which is on the western border of Iowa, right there across from Omaha, mm. probably about, a f- you know, I haven't been back in a little bit, but probably a 30 to 40 minute drive from Omaha. And so my grandfather worked at the Omaha Stockyards and was a huge Cornhuskers fan and he was definitely a very strong male figure in my life definitely uh, kind of molded and shaped who I am as a human today and so you know I admired my grandpa we lived in Nebraska for a while when I was younger so it just made sense and we were crushing it back in the day yeah you know, when I was coming up, it was the Scott Frost, Eric Crouch. Oh, loved Eric Crouch. Era. Run that triple option. Yep. Black so shirts it, on defense. It was easy. It was easy to be a Nebraska fan. And, you know, it was also a way for me and my grandpa to bond. Mm-hmm. So it was good. Yeah. It was solid. That's hmm. why I will always be a Cornhusker fan. And that's why I was super excited to have Scott Frost as the head coach. As you should All, be. It's always made sense to me. Yeah. Always did. A rough so. first year, but it happens it does happen so we'll we'll see he's got time seven wins it's happening happening mark it down mark it down mark it zero anyway from nfl and college yeah and college true you have anything non-fighting related before i just go off (laughs) before you explode there's a lot there's a lot um I could talk about the Dodgers' new pitcher tonight. He's been called up from AAA, the ginger oh, yeah. guard. He's uh, He's got Noah Syndergaard's long, flowing hair, but he's redheaded, so we're calling him ginger guard, which may or may not be the best nickname in all of sports right now. <laughs> he's starting tonight versus San Diego Padres. Tune in, 7, 10 p.m. But, yeah, no, I'm good. Fantastic. Yeah. Ginger guard, that is... I mean, it's... It's quite the nickname. Give me a better nickname, and I'll call you a liar because there isn't one. We'll wait. Yeah. So, we're going to get back in the darkness a Mm. little bit here because it just has to be discussed, and I think we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about it. So, first, we'll start with the tragic death of Purnell Sweet P. Whitaker um, getting hit by a car and dying unfortunate for one of the all-time greats in boxing sad moment a lot of tributes in the recent uh, boxing matches that took place in the last couple weekends a lot of people wearing them on their trunks uh, they had moments of um, respect where they do the the bell ringing uh, before a lot of the fights started lost one of the greats there mm-hmm. uh, a defensive genius a lot of people want to say that he's the best southpaw of all time just a a great fighter who had memorable fights against a lot of the all-time greats and wins over the all-time greats a lot of people say that floyd mayweather kind of modeled his style after sweet Mm. pea and you know had fights with de la hoya uh, had fights with manos de piedra um just just one of the greats great performances felix trinidad put on great fights and somebody to look up to if you had if you had a young fighter and you were trying to teach them to be defensively sound you'd definitely be showing them some sweet pea so yeah tragic way to lose one of the greats but you know stuff like that happens all the time 
It just yeah, it does, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah, 55, way too young. Way too young. So on to some more tragic deaths and people losing their lives way too early in traumatic circumstances. The first that took place was uh, Dadashev on the undercard of the Teofimo Lopez card. And I watched this fight live, and it was... It was hard to watch, and it... I can only imagine how hard it was for Buddy McGirt, for the family of Dadashev, um, a father, a husband, 29 years old. Just a tragedy. Tragedy in the ring. When you were watching that fight, I wasn't watching it live. I watched some of it afterwards. Uh, And from what I read, nothing... I mean, boxing is a, a brutal sport inherently. And from what I was seeing and reading about was that nothing really in that fight was leading you to believe that somebody was about to go have a brain bleed and eventually die. Was there anything in that? Um, it seemed like he was obviously getting beat, but did you see anything in particular that made you think that that could be a possible outcome? No, and so leading up to the stoppage, Buddy McGirt, all-time great boxer, all-time great trainer, called the fight because as the fight went on, Dadashev was competitive throughout the fight. He was landing good punches, but he was also taking a an insane amount uh, of punishment from, um, and I'm going to mess this up, but Subriel Matias. And uh, it was, as the, as the fight went on, it became very clear that Dadashev was not going to win the fight. He just did not have the power to be able to affect um, Matthias in the way that Matthias's shots were affecting him he was down on the scorecards he wasn't going to get that late knockout it just wasn't in the cards so because of that Buddy McGirt called the fight but I mean at the time people were definitely questioning the stoppage when it initially happened whether or not he should have let him go the distance and that that is a a mentality within boxing that I think kind of needs to change, and, and we'll talk more about that, but it was the 11th round. He'd taken damage. He was taking more damage, but he, w- he was competitive, and he was still having moments of success even in that 11th round um, where the stoppage came in, in between rounds. It was between the 11th and 12th. He still had moments of success. He was still landing nice shots. He was still moving well. There was no indication that what was about to happen was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But Buddy McGirt just saw that his fighter had no chance of winning the fight and did not need to take the additional unnecessary damage. And that's something that I completely support. Like I said, there's a mentality in boxing that you don't do that because then it starts to break a, a boxer uh, mentally. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it seemed like quitting. But no, it's, it's not quitting. It's being realistic about the situation and saving your boxer from additional damage that could impact their career down the road if not as it did in this case lead to their you know severe handicap or or death and so we need to change that mentality yeah there's yeah yeah but so buddy mcgirt stops it and he had to i mean he had to put his foot down because he's 
asking um, Dadashev, you know, please, please let me stop it. He's saying no, no in the corner. And he's like, please, you know, if I don't stop it, they're going to stop it eventually. And he's like, we we need to stop it. And he, he Dadashev is still saying no. And Dadashev has other members in his corner uh, who speak the, I think, you know, Dadashev probably speaks Russian or Ukrainian. I'm not sure which one. But who speak his language and he, you know, Buddy McGirt turned at one point to um, the, the guy who was kind of translating between them and was like, you need to be honest with him, you know, and tell him the truth. And finally, McGirt was like, well, I don't really care if you're, you keep saying no, I'm stopping it right now. And he did so. And they were taking Dadashev out of the ring. And as they were, he was leaving the ring. His legs were going mm. from underneath him. Just he was he was losing all his strength in his legs. And they were continuing to two gentlemen on either side of him were continuing to like just basically carry him out. His legs giving out all along the way. And instead of I I don't know why they didn't bring a stretcher forward. I don't know why they didn't bring him out on a stretcher again. I don't know if it has to do with the mentality of leaving on a stretcher and you these antiquated ideas of what you need to do in order for a fighter to appear strong and still have that mental strength. So he gets almost, almost all the way out there and they call the medical staff because he's, he's basically out on his feet and they're just holding him up. So the medical staff brings over the gurney. They're taking him out on the gurney and he vomits. Damn, that's scary. Very scary. And if you're unaware um, vomiting is a sign of uh, severe brain injury, and or it can be at least. And then he was transported uh, in the ambulance to the hospital. Later on the broadcast, we got the update that he indeed did have a, blame, or a brain bleed, and they were calling his wife to find out if he had any allergies to medications Yikes. before beginning the surgery. His wife was in Russia at the time, did not come over here for the fight, and so they were having a hard time reaching her. And my question is, why the fuck don't they have that information yeah, before a fighter steps in the ring? Yeah, you should have some type of emergency medical info for sure, and hopefully that becomes standardized after this incident. Especially for we a fighter have, whose family is in St. Petersburg, Russia. Exactly. And we have men stepping into a ring and beating each other with their fists repeatedly for up to 36 minutes. Yeah, you should have blood types, medications, allergies, all that stuff. It's inexcusable. Inexcusable that... So Dadashev eventually had to have a portion of his skull removed to relieve the, the swelling in his brain from a subdural hematoma. And that was delayed. Because they did not have this information. Damn. This could have been the difference between him being here today for his wife and his child and his eventual death. That could have been the difference. Inexcusable. Disgraceful on behalf of the commissions. I just... It's mind-blowing to me. It angers me. And Timothy Bradley had a very impassioned speech uh, on how he was removed from the from the ring. 
He said, mm-hmm. why Why was he allowed to walk out of there? Yeah. How come they he wasn't given medical attention immediately? It's, and he, he kind of went off on that, and I, I completely agree yeah, with that. Yeah, and Bradley was in some wars in his career, and he had some serious medical issues that I think led to an early retirement for him. So he, he better than anybody would know. And, and Bradley, there had been some rumors kind of that Bradley might make a comeback. I hope and not. Do, he and do these fights. Well, that's the thing. He said. He had seizures uh, or I, something that I read about. Yeah, and I'm paraphrasing. And, and um, you know, I don't know exactly what he said, but he basically said, you know, fuck a comeback. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not coming back. Yeah. He goes, you leave a piece of yourself in there every time you have a war like this. Yeah. You leave a piece of yourself in there. He said, life's too short. Yeah. I mean, we glorify... And it's, I'm a fan of boxing and I have been for a while and, but we glorify these 12 round slugfests when two, two people are going at it and it's just back and forth for 36 minutes, like you said. But what we don't really see is the damage that is being inflicted in so many different ways to these fighters' bodies that is, that are irreparable and are going to last a lifetime. And shorten a life potentially, and 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 limit people's lives for a long time, and it's the nature of the sport. And we need to change part of things. Yeah, yeah. There are definitely things we can improve on. And in you know the starting with the commissions and the information they have, starting with the mentality of trainers and boxers themselves, we need to be stopping fights earlier. When the, if so, you, there are people you know have power, right? Yeah. There, there are people uh-huh. you know have that that power that it that could be a game changer late in the fight, and there are people that just simply do not have that power. If if you have reason to believe maybe that somebody could come back later in the fight, sure, you know, let the fight go on, whatever. But in the case of Dadashev, Dadashev does not have have that power. And, and Buddy McGirt knew that. Buddy McGirt knew that the fight was over. He probably knew it a little bit earlier than that even. And, you know, Buddy McGirt called the fight early in a lot of people's opinion. But then, you know, seeing the circumstances afterwards, then everybody changed, changed tune quickly. He probably should have stopped it earlier. I mean, I knew in the ninth round that, you know, that Dadashev it wasn't looking good that he wasn't going to win. So he possibly could have been stopped in the 10th, yeah. you know, in between the 9th and the 10th. Well, we get it from both. You get it from both sides because when, when you stop it too early, then you got 75% of the internet and commentators saying that it was there was an early stoppage. They should have let him fight. He still had a chance. I've never really seen it that way. I think you're on the same boat as me Is I'm always in favor of an early stoppage before it gets to this point and this harken back so you and i went to a boxing match together yeah and this harkens back to the main event of that match i was i was pretty heated that they didn't stop that fight um one of the fighters was just taking insane amounts of damage but was still standing out on his Mm -hmm. on his feet and just taking a lot of punishment, a lot of big shots, and he, he ended up surviving the round and ended up fighting the rest of the fight. Did he win the fight? No. Did he take additional damage on top mm-hmm. of damage, which I thought was enough to stop the fight? Yes. So, And that's a low-level fighter. <laughs> exactly. He's not... 
he doesn't have the financial means to cover all of that. He was getting paid what like two grand just to show up. Yeah, it's that. Dadashev at least was fighting for the number one ranking in I forget which organization it was, but basically he was going to be next in line for the title. I can't imagine the type of medical care a boxer at that fight that you and I went to would have received. Like they probably would have had to driven themselves to the ER. Exactly. Just. Anyway, a lot needs to change. Hopefully, in light of Dadashev's death and the death we'll talk about shortly, it will change. Another thing that needs to change is are the weigh-ins. I, I don't know what the solution is, but we need to be looking into a solution to this weight cutting. Mm-hmm. Weight cutting is out of control and is putting people's lives at risk. Dadashev had an extremely difficult weight cut, according to his trainers and the people surrounding his camp. And strangely he did not regain a lot of weight Hmm. which is uncharacteristic and there is some speculation as to whether his level of dehydration because when he got to the hospital he was found to be severely dehydrated if that dehydration led to exacerbation of the fatal injuries that he received Who knows? Yeah, we can only speculate on that. Right. But weight weight cutting needs to be looked at. Period. It's, it's unhealthy. It puts these athletes at risk. I think that's another so, old school archaic thought. Is like you're supposed to lose twenty pounds. That's that's part of the fight game. That's that's what we've always done. And it stems from I know wrestlers take pride in their weight cuts, but I don't. Yeah, like you said, I don't necessarily think that should be the move moving forward. No, it shouldn't. And I kind of, I, I've fallen into that trap previously in my life. You know, yeah, I, you've talked I, about your weight cuts. I cut so much weight. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't know what, I don't know what damage I did to myself by doing that, by, you know, dehydrating myself to the point where like I was weak on my feet. I felt like I was going to pass out. Yeah. I, you know, once I rehydrated, it, it's the strangest thing. It's a strange sensation. But when, once I started rehydrating, immediately my body just started dumping sweat. Hmm. Like I couldn't sweat anymore leading up to that. Mm-hmm. I, I was just dry. I couldn't get another ounce of fluid out of me. But then when I started rehydrating, I just immediately started dumping sweat. Strange reaction. I don't know. Hmm. I haven't talked to anybody about that. So I don't know like what the mechanism is that your body starts doing that. But... It needs to change. And we saw another case of this with a boxer, and I'll mess up this pronunciation, but Hugo Santian, that's what I'm going to go with. And he died as well, 23 years old, I believe. And this was just as horrifying to watch. I didn't watch this one live, but they are literally, again, another fighter that was forced to go the distance even though it you know the writing was on the wall and he is literally being held up by his trainer as they're reading the decision and he is dying in his trainer's arms jesus while they read this decision and you know i don't i'm not going to discourage or encourage you to look up this video because it is so terrifying and can could possibly be traumatizing so you know there's that warning and caveat out there but man it's hard to watch hard to watch 
something needs to change. Uh, multiple things need to change. And we outlined what those things are. And so, will they? Probably not. So, this is not, I, I guarantee this is not the last time something like this happens. Guarantee it. That was two deaths within the span of like almost a week. Is that right? Mm hmm. Was. Damn. So yeah, that's uh, that's my rant on that. Yeah, and I was passionate. That situation. Um, on to more positive boxing news. Freaking forty-year-old Manny Pacquiao, man. Yeah. Were you, were you gonna ask for a break? No, I wasn't. Okay. I was gonna say cool. Canelo got stripped of his belt, but we could go Pacquiao as well. Yeah. Forty-year-old <laughs> Manny Pacquiao won the won the welterweight title. Sure did. Incredible! Did you see a young buck in there. Uh, let's see. No, I didn't see it live. I was. Uh, I saw it, some highlights of it the next day, though. Yeah, just an incredible performance by Pacquiao at 40 years old, being the younger, undefeated Keith Thurman. Came out in the first round, and knocked him on his ass. Now, whether or not he stepped on his foot, whether or not <laughs> X, Y, and Z, it completely changed the the fight and and how it played out and i it was a very close fight i'm not gonna say pacquiao dominated i had him winning by one point and that was because of that knockdown but still got the victory still got the job done and just incredible incredible what he's been able to do in his career um you can say what you want about you know who he is outside of the ring but champion eight different weight classes Eight different weight classes. The oldest boxer to ever win a title at welterweight. And still doing the damn thing at 40 and doing it at the highest levels. Just incredible. Where does Pac yeah, go from here? So he's on the PBC side of the street. Um, as far as boxing promoters go. So he will not be fighting Terrence Crawford. That fight could have happened when he was with Bob Arum under top rank. So he won't be fighting Terrence Crawford. He will probably. Does he probably, want? <laughs> does he want to go anywhere from here? I mean, he he's going to. Yeah, I, I know he is. Just knowing who Pacquiao is, he will probably get the winner of Errol Spence John Porter. <laughs> oh. I do not want to see Pacquiao fight Errol Spence. It just don't want to Especially see after what we just talked about. Yeah. There's also the possibility that, you know, the ghost of Floyd Mayweather Ooh. comes back. I mean, that's it's hard to pass up. if It's 100 plus mil guaranteed. Exactly. And because of Pacquiao's performances, because Floyd's been on the shelf for so long. They could sell that. They could sell it. They would get money out of me. And out of everything, that's what I would want to see him doing. Mm-hmm. Just because of what you least, said. the least amount of punishment for him. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, probably the fight he has the best chance of winning. I don't know. I don't know what level of training Floyd's been doing while he's been away. Mm-hmm. But Floyd Mayweather is older than Manny Pacquiao. A lot of people don't know that. Or, you know, don't realize that. Who knows? Who knows what Floyd we could be getting? We know what Manny we, we're getting. Jeez. We're getting a Manny that, you know, had a pretty impressive performance at the age of 40 years old. Looked 
incredibly fast, made Keith Thurman look very slow. Yeah, Pacquiao looked like the young fighter in there. He did. It was just, it, it was a great performance by Manny Pacquiao. Keith Thurman did find his rhythm eventually, did land some good shots, but then Pacquiao hit him with that body shot again in the 10th. It kind of changed, changed everything. Had he not done that, Keith Thurman might have won that fight. But, yeah, I mean, some people are talking about a rematch. I would actually take Keith Thurman in that rematch. Yeah, I don't think that's a good rematch for Pacquiao. Yeah, I, I feel like Keith Thurman got completely thrown off his game by the early knockdown. And that changed how those first six rounds went. Keith Thurman found his rhythm. And I think just the next fight would be would look more like the later half of the fight mm-hmm. unless Pac- Pacquiao was able to land big shots that either hurt Thurman or knocked him out but I, I think the the fight would look a, a rematch would look more like rounds 6 through 12 which would have Thurman winning a, a decision eventually so. exciting very exciting good for Pacquiao yeah and like like you said, uh, Canelo did get stripped of his 160-pound title. The He didn't face uh, Sergei Deryavchenko. That's what I'm going to go with. Sergei Deryavchenko. That's close enough, yeah. Um, that fight is not going to get made, so he's going to be stripped of that belt because he's Boxing is so weird, man. So weird. <laughs> it's the weirdest sport. It's hard to even like explain how this works. Yeah, there's so many different sanctioning bodies, so many different belts. It's you so, have to fight your mandatories so hard to or follow. You have to either fight your mandatories or pay them step aside money, which is also weird. There's, uh, it's just dumb. Like, Canelo lost like five million dollars yesterday because something he had no control over went down. Was my interpretation of how I was reading that? Eh, kind of. I mean, he has some. He has some control well, over it. Not, not a bunch. Okay, so why didn't can you? in layman's terms explain why this fight didn't take place or wasn't going to take isn't going to take place because there's no money in it <laughs> so That's... he's he's sacrificed five million yesterday in order to maybe get a bigger payday on a future fight yes and no because he also <laughs> he also has a contract oh, that's with right he has the 300 million contract anyways so they kind of have somewhat of a say in what fights he's going to mm. get but it's just does it does the fight make sense from a he's one of the top challengers at 160 standpoint? Yes. Does it make stance, sense from a everybody's going to be hyped and really into this fight? No. People would much rather see um, Canelo fight Sergei Kovalev, uh, much bigger name. Canelo's going up a weight class or a couple weight classes, so there's more intrigue to that fight. They would much rather see him fight Gennady Golovkin. They'd much rather see him fight Callum Smith who's the 168-pound champion who just won the World Boxing Super Series tournament pretty decisively. So it's just, it's not a fight people want to really see, even though it would be, I think, a, a decent fight, uh, you know, interesting to see is Dariyevchenko is uh, undefeated and, and a good fighter, but it's just not what people want, so it's not getting made. The boxing game is so weird. It is weird. Very, very strange. And did you see uh, Andy Ruiz went on Joe Rogan's podcast? I didn't listen to it. I saw, I read about it, I guess. I 
saw it was like one of the shortest podcasts they had done in a long time. Seems yeah. like a nice wholesome individual. Not maybe not the most I don't know, articulate, thorough guess he's ever had on, but Definitely. And he kinda of spilled the beans because they were uh they're talking about where the fight was gonna take place. He's, if you don't know, Andy Ruiz, uh, heavyweight champ, beat Anthony Joshua. Stunned the world. Stunned the world. Uh, huge win for the body positivity movement. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for sure. Just the embodiment of the body positivity <laughs> movement. What did uh, Teddy, Teddy Atlas say? He set back fitness like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most accurate thing I think I've ever heard uh, Teddy Atlas say. Yeah. I mean, all the blood pressure medication companies should oh just God, be given. Yeah. <laughs> they should be Free given Andy Bruce. for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> just a cut. Oh, a man. cut of their profits. Um, but anyway, he's rematching Anthony Joshua, and Joe was kind of asking where it was going to be, and they basically go, not the UK, not Vegas, not the Staples Center, so. not Madison Square Garden. And then later in the or earlier in the interview, um, Andy Ruiz has said, "Yeah, we're gonna get a house in Mexico, kind of just b- to be close to prepare for the fight." So I think we're gonna see Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz fighting in Mexico City. Huh? I don't see that. I think I think that's where it's you going. You think down. so? Yeah. Where else would it be? Dallas. Dallas. Mm, I don't see it. You don't see it at Jerry World? I don't care. Mexico City. Elevation. At at elevation. I don't don't know. I feel like Anthony Joshua, that's like he's been afraid to leave the UK. He's going to go to Mexico City. I think he doesn't really have a say. I guess he is on the B side now. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Ruiz thinks he has better cardio. Ruiz? Which he he does. He's a big boy, but he has good cardio. (laughs) For a big boy. Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, that elevation—that's what people are going to be talking about for three months leading up to the fight. Huh. Well, I think I think it'll make a uh, Ruiz has trained in Big Bear before. You know, mm. he was with Abel Sanchez for a while. Uh, okay, with Golovkin. He's he's probably a little more acclimated to the elevation than anthony joshua who trains pretty much at sea level because i'm not sure they even have hills in england do they have hills I don't no know. um <laughs> they have hill they have uh like rolling grass but i don't think it's hills and if i was a fighter who was trying to maintain my belt and i saw that anthony joshua has routinely gassed late in fights that i have a cardio advantage on him and that that will increase my chances of stopping him, especially later in the fight. Why not? Why not put him in Mexico City? Uh, They're billing him as the first Mexican heavyweight champion, even though he was born in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. uh, strategically, I guess that's yeah. All right. That... And and then why would you get at so like you're saying Dallas maybe? Why would you get a house in Mexico? <laughs> like why would you risk the Giardia? <laughs> mm. Why would you risk, you know, everything else that, you know, you don't have access to by being in Mexico that you would in the U.S.? I don't know. Maybe he's got grandparents he wanted to buy a house for. Maybe. Yeah, but th- I don't know. That, to me, it just makes sense. It's They're possible. fighting Mexico City. Have, have they put a date on that fight yet? December. December. 
Diciembre. Which would conflict with uh, being in Dallas because you can't have it at Jerry World, right? Uh, they got a they, they got an away game in de- de- December. Yeah, I guess. I just don't know. I don't know. I, I see it in Mexico City. That's what we'll I'm see. Say. I I'm just, I'm not sure if it's if it's set for December. Why aren't they releasing that? That's not oh, that far off. He said it'd be coming out very soon oh, okay, on the cool. on the Jerry. So we're podcast. just speculating. Okay, speculating. <laughs> um cool well i'm excited I have, and the, i mean the more i think about strategically why you would have it there that's very interesting and potentially uh yeah potentially an advantage and you could potentially i don't know what uh the biggest like stadium or arena is there in mexico city but the population of mexico city is huge yeah big city it is a a gigantic city, and it looks like the Estadio Azteca. Azteca. Yeah, the Azteca. Yeah, that's where eighty-seven thousand. So they could they could literally pack that thing with eighty-seven thousand people. Oh, uh, easy, easy. That's where they. Uh, that's where the NFL tried to have a game last year, but the turf was so bad that they had to relocate. But I guess luckily, you just need luckily the boxing <laughs> you just match need a canvas. Turf, yeah. <laughs> I think they can find some canvas around there. I think they can. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. And and then. If that happens, and Andy Ruiz wins, and he's able to stop Anthony Joshua, I think he becomes one of the biggest stars instantly in the sport of boxing. I think you have to say so, yeah. Because the I mean, first time one, we're all saying is a fluke, but twice, then that's then there's more to it. Yeah, and that that fight, having it in Mexico City, would do so much for getting and Andy Ruiz the full and complete support of the Mexican people. And the Mexican people are some of the biggest buyers of pay-per-views, mm. you know, supporters of boxing, yeah, period. Yeah, very proud boxing period. fans. So I'm excited for that, and I hope that happens, and I hope that, you know, Mikey, Do- Mikey Damas, Mikey, it doesn't work. I can't do the Nostradamus with mm. It just yeah. doesn't blend it's, very it's, well. It's tough. Not everyone has yeah. the Nostradamus. <laughs> there, there it's tough. It is. Not everybody there can it is. Yeah, not everybody has that. Nope, nope. So hopefully that comes true. Could you imagine if he beat Joshua again? Uh, Joshua just has to retire, right? That's it. All of that hype, all of that cool magazine photo shoots, all of your CrossFit workouts, all your Mm -hmm. hanging out with Drake, it's over. You're done. I I think he does beat Joshua again. Joshua should just invest in a CrossFit gym, and that's just what he does from here on out is kipping pull-ups. That's it. Just, Just be a model. Yeah, good model. Yeah. Super you tall. Yeah. You good enough. shape. That's it. You just you don't want to get punched in the mouth, and that's okay. Not every. I mean, most people don't. Yeah. I won't so, fault you for that. Yeah, because after that, I mean, he, he. I guess he could just still fight and be kind of around the top, but even the way he you, Joshua took that loss, I felt was was a loss. Excuse my double use of the term there but i feel like you i don't know this might sound not correct but he almost took the loss too graciously is that bad to think that he kind of did like i you kind of want more of a a michael jordan approach to a loss especially if you're a boxer and, and the sport is brutal and competitive as boxing is he was way too sincere and congratulatory so there are and that might sound contradictory because, I don't know, I think you should be humble in victory and defeat, but I don't know. 
this one this one didn't seem good. if I was in the Joshua camp it, it didn't seem good for me. It wouldn't the seem cavi- good. The caveat I will place on that is the fact that he was concussed probably. You know when, <laughs> right. when, when giving that post fight interview. So. True, he had been dropped. You're right. So there's there, that's one caveat but also and I don't want to question his mentality because we just talked about that with the whole thing. But he has said in the past, like after the Klitschko fight, he's like, I do not want to be in another fight like that again. Mm. He A said that? He, yes, he did. Oh, then he's already out of the game. <sighs> and I yes and no. I, yes and no. Because he does have skills. Yeah. And he immense does amount have of skills. A frame oh, the power. physique. One of the best physiques we've ever seen at the heavyweight division. Definitely, but and I, I understand not wanting to be in another fight like oh, that again. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't fault I, anybody. Absolute war. A lot. Yeah, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. But I an- will say, I will say that that is not something that you want to hear from your fighter as as a trainer. No, and it, I mean it, it sounds contradictory based off of kind of how we started our boxing discussion, but it is the nature of the sport. And and if they do say that, you want it followed up with, so I'm going to train harder than I ever have in the gym in order to improve my defense. And like, you right. know, like that's have a remedy for follow- it. Yes, yes. You can say that you don't want to be in a fight like <laughs> yeah, that ever it's again. It's kind of natural. But, but then be like, because I'm going to train so hard. No, I'm going to knock just- him out in the first round. Yeah. Huh. We'll see. Interesting. Yeah. He's an interesting. We will see. Interesting boxer. <laughs> Yep. So that's that's pretty much all I have on boxing. I mean, there are some other issues that we could get super in the weeds on, like Dillian White popping for Diana Ball and then using gloves that weren't approved by a commission, switching them 30 seconds before the fight against Oscar Rivas. Honest but mistake. Super into the weeds. Super. This isn't just a boxing-focused podcast. If it was, maybe. But still. Um, UFC, we've got... Colby Covington, Robbie Lawler, this Saturday. I'm interested uh, to hear your analysis of that. I put my money on Brutal Bob. Really? I am. I I think uh, Robbie Lawler has incredible takedown defense. He's always shown that in the UFC. Uh, even in his fight against Ben Askren, where he quote-unquote lost, he had good takedown defense, was trying to return to his feet in the process. Um, ben Askren got that kind of headlock on him. But Robbie Lawler has been a supremely difficult individual to take down and a supremely difficult individual to keep down. Colby Covington's striking is not good. And I can see Robbie, especially during a five-round fight, getting the opportunity to stop Colby Covington. So I'm picking the underdog. I think he's like a two-to-one underdog, mm-hmm. Robbie Lawler. That was last I saw. Uh, so I would put some change on it. Hmm definitely at the very least and i actually favor him to win i think the line's completely off did you see that uh donald and or donald trump jr and eric trump will be in attendance i saw that covington was talking about how this was going to be the first ufc event where the first family members were going to be in attendance that's a head scratcher but we know how much of a fan colby covington is of our current president so big fan yeah and Dana White also endorsed Trump, so there's a lot of connections. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, an interesting side- event for them. Well, 
they are supporting Covington. It's just it's in like a Newark, New Jersey fight. I don't know. It just didn't seem like the biggest fight that they could have attended. But I guess it also has to do with who's yeah. in the main event. It does. And uh, Colby Covington also went to the White House. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I saw him there with his, belt. with his MAGA hat on. So, yeah. Uh, definitely rooting for Robbie Holder. Um, <laughs> and, but no, I, I genuinely believe Robbie will win. And I think if he does win, it'll probably be by stoppage. But, you know, I don't think there's more value. The Let's see. Lawler wins by KOTKOs plus 230, depending upon your book. And him just winning outright is plus 205. So I would not take the extra risk and put the plus 230 and just do the plus 205. Robbie Lawler over Col- Colby Covington. The rest of the card, uh, pretty uninteresting. We'll have other fights coming up uh, that are a little more interesting than this fight card. When Clay Guida, Jim Miller is your co-main. Uh, <laughs> You're really <laughs> scraping I mean, the barrel. I mean, maybe if this was like 2008, that'd be cool. But no, not anymore. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I have. Anything else you want to hit before we say sayonara? No, I'm good. Perfect. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're and back. Non-gender binary identifying individuals, we're back. Thank you for uh, listening, and until next time. All right.